forget the reason why God dropped the Old Testament curses and set up stones so they can remember, to write it on their hands and their foreheads to remember because so often we forget. We forget who he is, we forget what he's done, we forget the heart behind it. Let's talk about that just a little bit. If you would, go ahead and turn to John. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 this morning. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have been talking about worship and the idea that worship is part of the life of a healthy believer, but it's also part of the life of a healthy church. It's one of those things that we do both, we are expected to do, and we should be doing both individually and corporately. And we looked the first week at kind of what a definition for for worship should be. Worship, as the definition that we're stealing from Donald Witten in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, worship is focusing on and responding to God. Focusing on and responding to God. And we talked about how when we focus on God, we can do that in, a, in a, several ways. We can look and look at him through his creation. We can look at him through his word. And we can look at him, most importantly, through the life of Jesus Christ as God stepped out of heaven into flesh and lived before us. Jesus tells us that if we have known the Son, then we have known the Father. So we look to him through that. And then last week we looked at understanding a proper view of God or, or seeing him for what he is. And we talked about his greatness and how there is none like him. There is no other God that compares. We talked about his power and we how we see that through creation and how we see that through how he intermingles history at his will. And we talked about how we see it in his justice that we serve a God and worship a God that cannot and will not allow evil to go unpunished. We talked about it through his love and how God, even in his justice, saw us and saw our need. And we're going to talk more about that today, but in his love and what he had accomplished on our behalf. We talked about responding to that. And I hope this week this week, I pray this week for you as a church, and, and me as an individual, I, I needed to do this, to, to sit and to meditate upon those things, and to remind myself of who he is, so that I may respond rightly to him, so that I may respond rightly to him. This morning, we are shifting, though, our focus slightly. We're shifting it from the God that we worship to better understanding who we are. If we are going to worship rightly, if we're going to worship in truth and in, in, in mind, then we must also have a better understanding of who we are. Who are we created to be? What is our predicament? And where are we at with it? And so hopefully by now you found John chapter 1, and we're going to read just verses 12 and 13. So if you would stand with us this morning, we will honor the word of God. Chapter 1, we're reading just verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you this morning that we have an opportunity to come into your house, be with your family, to 
the work of your hands and doing your will. Father, I pray, pray that we would do that. Pray that we would open up our hearts and we would care deeply for your plan and doing of it. That we would, our lives would be a reflection of the God that we serve. That others would look at us and go out and they are at least understand our need. John writes here in chapter 1, and he says this phrase at the beginning of verse 12, he says, to all who did receive him. Why, why do we need to receive him? Why was there a need for us to believe in Jesus Christ? Why is there a need for us to accept whatever he's offering? Well, to understand that, and really, in order to worship fully, we must understand our creation. In order to understand the need that we have, in order to, under, in order to understand why we worship and, and how to worship fully, we must understand our creation. If you go back to Genesis, at the very beginning, you see God creating all things, and he speaks it into existence. He speaks the heavens and the earth into existence. He speaks creation and, and the world into existence. He speaks uh, the animals and all of life into existence. But then he does something special. He does something special. He makes man. It's interesting. We don't have time to, to dig into this totally. But it is interesting that everything else we are told he speaks into existence and yet man, he takes the time to form. You ever thought about that? That he takes the dust of the earth. Everything else is spoken. It's out of nothing. God doesn't need other things in order to create. Like we have to have supplies, right? We have to have wood or timber or we have to have rocks and then we make something, okay? We are creative, but we can't do it out of nothing. God created all things out of nothing. And yet we see him take man and we see him form him. We see him take great care in his, as he creates something in his image. And that phrase, in his image, often we, make, we, we stop at the idea that he created the physical body in his image. But what it is speaking to there more deeply is that he put inside of us a spirit. Because God is spirit. And for us to have a relationship with him, in order for us to connect with him, he put inside of us something special, something eternal. It's what separates us from the rest of creation. And part of that 
spirit that he's put inside of us so that we can have a relationship with him is so that we could respond. I don't know about you, but I've never seen dogs respond to God. I've never seen animals. I love dogs. I think dogs have personalities. Totally believe that. Mike, if you don't think animals have personality, come come house sit in my cat room. She is a mess. She has a personality. She does not have a spirit. She cannot respond to God. You're going to break some hearts today. Not all dogs go to heaven. Okay? Sorry. But we were different. We were created with the ability to know our Creator and to have a relationship with Him and look at all that He has done, look at all of creation, look at the relationship that He wants to have with us and respond back to Him. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. We get to have something that nothing else on earth can have. And yet, Even though we were gifted with this great gift in humanity, that we had a spirit that was created to respond, it did not take us very long at all to sense our purpose. It did not take humanity very long at all to get distracted from what we were supposed to be doing. I think of myself as a teenager. Dad would give me a a task to do a crossword puzzle. And inevitably, I would get distracted. I know you can't know. <laughs> but inevitably, like, you know, you're picking green beans and a butterfly goes by. And you're like, oh, that's a pretty butterfly. Mostly because I didn't want to pick green beans. But you chase after that. In the same way, humanity, Adam and Eve are, are from the very beginning, they get distracted by the serpent. And what happens is they sin. They introduced into our world disobedience, and it has flowed from them through all of creation and through all of us. And we find now that even though we were created to respond to him, even though we were created to have a relationship with him, we find now that we have a need. We have a need that we must understand. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they introduced death. They introduced separation. Before they sinned, when they were in the garden, they had a relationship that had no boundaries. They had access unlike we could ever understand. They could speak with him and walk with him. But once disobedience entered into the world, they were separated. And now they had a problem. Now they had a need. We need to understand that if we are to look at fully as well. What is our need? The scripture tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us have done things that have broken the law of God. All of us have disobeyed God. And because of that, there's consequence. We talked about this lots of times. There's consequence because of that. All of us find ourselves under that consequence. And and just like if you break a law in your home, like if you break your parents' rules, there are consequences for that. 
but it's your mom and dad. And so, thankfully, mom and dad don't have the right of corporal punishment. They can't kill us, okay? If they could, many of us would not be here. And so if you break their law, the consequence is a grounding or a spanking. If you break the law of the government, now the consequences begin to get a little bigger, right? But if you break the consequence or you break the law of God, the consequence is eternal. It's eternal separation. It's eternal suffering. And nothing we can do can get us back in right standing. Justice is justice. And we cannot do enough. We cannot be good enough to balance out the scales. And so we have this great need. Not only that, but because of the problem, because of sin, not only do we face great consequences, but we face great separation. And so we are not able, we are not able to have a relationship with him the way that we were created to have. You've heard pastors talk about this. Many of this, many of you have this testimony in your own, or this story in your own testimony about what God's done in your life. That before Christ, there was a hole, there was an emptiness inside of you that you could not explain. And we've tried, and we try to fill it. We try to fill it with things. We try to fill it with prestige. We try to fill it with accomplishments. We some try to fill it with addictions, and yet nothing seems to satisfy. Because that wasn't the way we were created. We were created for relationship with Him. We were created for response to Him. But we have a need. And we couldn't do anything about it. We have a need to pay the consequences. We have a need for a relationship that we can't develop on our own. So what do we do? Praise to God, He has done the work for us. We see there, we're going to skip over the middle section there. The middle section says, He gave the right to become children of God. We're going to skip over that for just a minute. In verse 13, it says, Who were born, these, these people that believe, these people that have received Christ, they were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but they were born of God. It was His work. We have this great need. We have this great problem. And if we're going to understand worship fully, we need to understand those. But we must also understand, if we are to worship him fully, the work that he has done on our behalf. Christ came. God saw us in his grace and his mercy, unable to fix the problem that we had created. And he stepped into all of creation giving up the privileges of heaven so that he may live a perfect life here, that he may die on the cross and suffer unspeakable things. And because he was God, because he was eternal, because he was perfect, he was able to take on the consequence for us so that justice was satisfied. Jesus does this work. No other person, no other man can say, I had a part in that. None of us can say, I am responsible for my own salvation. None of us can say, I can earn it. None of us can say, I thought of it. He did it all for us. He did it all for us. We need to understand the depth of that. 
we need to explore the reality of it. That Christ has done a work for you and I that we could not have done on our own. John says this wasn't, this becoming a child of God, it's not a work of blood. And what he's talking about there is family blood. You hear the phrase a lot, you can't choose your family. I always like to flip that around and say, well, they didn't choose you either. But it's a blood thing, right? You love family because they're blood, all right? There is a connection there that goes deeper than, than anything else. But John says it's not, it's not a forced connection here. Family is it's not a forced connection when we join the family of God. It's not a blood thing. He says it's not a will, it's not of the flesh. When we create children, at times that comes out of the flesh. It comes out of lust. He says, there was none of that here. He says, it's not of a will of men. This wasn't a choice we made. This wasn't a thing that we decided to accomplish, and so we went for it. None of that happened. This was of God. He alone did the work. think about that? Do we respond to that on a daily basis? To say, I had great need. I was created for a purpose, but I could not fulfill that purpose on my own, and yet Christ has done it for me. Do we understand that? Do we respond to it? Not only that, but to worship Him fully, we must understand our adoption. Adoption is a beautiful picture It's a beautiful picture of what Christ does. You have a child. You have a child who, through no fault of their own, and this is where the picture differs because it's totally our fault, but through no fault of their own, they are in a hopeless situation. They have no relationships which they can rely on. They have no hope. They have no way of earning anything. They have no way of providing for themselves. And yet a parent comes into the picture, a couple comes into the picture, and they choose the child. Do you, understand? Do you get that picture? They choose the child. Or God helps choose the child for them in some cases. You don't ever see a baby up for adoption, and the baby's sitting there, and they're flipping pictures in front of you, and the baby's like, yeah, that one. I want that one. <clears throat> That's not how it works, is it? The parent comes and they and they choose the child and they adopt that child in their family and at this and that family they become one and it doesn't matter that there's not blood there. What matters is that they have chosen them and they have loved them as their own. And what does that child have to do? Does that child earn anything? Now that they're part of the family, does that child have to work harder? Does that child have to do more chores? Does that child have to behave a certain way? No, they are family. All they have to do is wrap their arms around the father and the mother and say, thank you. We are the same, brothers and sisters. Once we were lost, once we had no family, once we had no connections, we had no hope, we had no ability to provide for ourselves, we had no way to earn grace, and yet the father saw us in our state and he chose us 
and he brings us into the family. And we don't have to earn it. We, don't have to, we didn't earn it to begin with, and we don't have to earn it now. Rather, all we do is accept it. And then we act like children. We act like children of the king. We respond to what has been done for us. Which brings us to the next point. And this jumps back into verse 12 a little bit. It says, to all who receive him, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. we appreciate the fact that we are now his. We are now children of the king. And to order, in order to worship fully, we must understand that as children of the king, we have full access. We have full access. We have the ability to come before him. The Old Testament, and really if you read Hebrews, it kind of lays some of this out. But in the Old Testament, you see the design of the temple. And the design of the temple, in many ways, was to show off exclusion. You have the Holy of Holies that is separated from everything else by this curtain. And only one person a year could go in to that place. But for the rest, no one had access to God. No one had access to His directly to Him. You even have the walls of the temple in the holy place. The, the holy place was limited to just a few people. And the people and the mass majority of folks had to go through a priest in order to gain access. You think about even there was walls outside of that to build a court so that the Jews could be in this spot, but anyone that was not Jewish was outside of those walls. It was limited access. And yet what Christ did on the cross as he died for you and me, as we have been adopted, if we will believe in him, accept him, as we have been adopted in the family, is now the curtain has been torn away. Now we have access to God. And yet, how many of us really use it? If you had the personal phone number of the richest man or the most powerful man in the world, we would use it on a regular basis, wouldn't we? Hey, I, I really, I have this, you know, house loan, like, could drop a couple ten thousand dollars oh yeah sure no problem we'd be making that call all day long wouldn't we hey i've got this problem i have i have court duty like our, our jury duty i really don't want to go do you think you could take care of that for me oh yeah i'll make a phone call i got all i got taken care of we would be on the phone every day all day long and yet for many of us we have access to the creator of all creation and we limit it our access we limit our conversation to a couple hours on Sunday morning and to a 30-second prayer before we eat. That is how we treat access to the Most High God. Shame on us. He wants to have a relationship. He died for us. He granted us access to the Creator of all the earth. We should be in that presence all day long. We should want to go before the king all day long. Not just to talk to him, not just to take our need to him, though that is certainly part of it, and something we need to do and we should depend upon him, but just to be in his presence. 
I think about the times, the few times in my life when I've gotten to be around famous people. And I find myself never talking. Like, oh man, I, I think later, I'm like, oh man, I should have asked this question, or I should have asked that question. But I get around these people, and I find myself speechless, and I just enjoy the fact that I'm there. We should want that with the Lord God. We should want to just be in His presence, not having to speak. We have this great access. But not only do we have great access, we have great inheritance. And if we are to worship, if we are to respond to Him fully, then we must understand that inheritance. Romans says that we are heirs with Christ. Have you thought about that? If you are a child of God, then you have been given this great inheritance. You have all of heaven before you. But do we act like it? Do we understand the depths of it? If I were to come to you on your deathbed and say, what is heaven worth to you? What is heaven worth to you right now? You would say everything, would you not? You would say, I would give anything to have assurance. I would give anything to not let that slip through my grasp. I would do anything to know that I have that. And yet, as believers, when we accept Him, we can have assurance. We can know that we have this hope. We can have that inheritance assured to us. And yet, do we live like it? It drives me nuts to watch the news sometimes because half times when I go to find news, all I find is rich people doing rich people things. Like, they are heirs, especially heirs. Like, we have like whole television shows now dedicated to watching the children of other rich people. It's weird. I don't know why we obsess over it. I don't know if it's because we want to do that or what. But we watch it, and it drives some of us crazy, right? Because they're acting like they're special. They're acting like they have all of this money. And I hate to tell you this, they do have all of that money, okay? And very rarely do you see heirs very rarely do you see the, the daughters and the sons of kings and queens and powerful people acting like poor people. It's odd. Wouldn't it be odd to watch that? Be like, dude, your dad has a billion dollars in the bank. Why are you worried about buying a $1.50 soda? That would be odd. That would be strange. And yet, Brothers and sisters, we are heirs to all eternity. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. We are the sons and daughters of the King Most High, and yet we live like spiritual paupers. Not jalapeno poppers. Poppers, poor people, okay? We have an inheritance, and we should live like it. We should live like we have riches. I'm not saying go out and buy a Corvette. I'm saying we struggle with things. We struggle with time. We struggle with generosity. We struggle with telling our story. We struggle with worship because we don't understand that we are no longer slaves. We are no longer orphans. We are part of this great family. We have been given everything, and we should want to tell people about that. We should want to share that with others. We should live differently. We should live generously. Because all of the wealth that is here means nothing in the light of all of eternity. 
respond? How do you respond? And response and worship, we've talked a lot about that the last three weeks. That doesn't always look like just singing, okay? Like, we think of worship and we think of music, right? Like, that's generally where our brains go. But response has so much more involved with it. You look throughout Scripture, and there are times that Abraham responds to God, and it has nothing to do with music. Sometimes it's giving. It's generosity. Sometimes it is prayer. Sometimes it is silence. Sometimes it's meditation. Sometimes it's obedience. That's all part of response and worship. In fact, obedience probably would be the definition of response and worship if we really thought about it. How do you respond? When you look at yourself, you have this great vision of God, you know His greatness, you know who He is, you know what He's done for you, and we respond to that, but then we look at ourselves and we understand that we were created to respond, we understand that we were created to worship, we understand that God has opened the, uh, the ability, the door for us to do that. We understand what He has done for us through the cross. We understand that we've been adopted into family. That we've been adopted as heirs to the kingdom. That we have great access and great joy. How do we respond? Do we live life like normal? I don't think we can. I don't think we can. We can't live like normal. If that's who we are. We can't live like normal. going to give us an opportunity to to respond. And I don't know what that looks like to you. Maybe this morning, for most of us, it's probably standing and probably singing, and that's perfectly acceptable and good. Maybe it's this morning, it's sitting in your seat and praying to Him and asking Him to give you a better view of yourself so that you can respond rightly to Him. Maybe it's saying, God, I know that I haven't responded rightly. I know that I haven't been obeying you, and I want to do that. I want to commit that to you. Maybe this morning... Responding means understanding for the first time that Jesus Christ died so that you didn't have to face justice, that he took care of it for you. And this morning, you need to ask for forgiveness for for sin, for the things that you've done wrong, and you need to make him the boss, make him the Lord of your life, knowing that he knows what's best. This morning, you respond. You respond to the word. You respond to what God's saying to you. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for all you've given us. We thank you for how you love on us. We thank you for how you take care of us. Lord, we thank you that you have created us special from all of creation. That you gave us an opportunity to have a relationship with you. You gave us an opportunity to be called children of the Most High God. That you desire for all of us to accept you be a part of that family. Father, I pray, teach us about who you are. Teach us about who we are in your presence. Teach us how to respond. Lord, open our hearts this morning. Not just to hear words and then let them go out the other ear. Not just to to know something academically, but to know something in our hearts. Make it a foundational thing that 
love us and want us to return. Father, I pray for this church. Lord, help us not to waste. 